All right. Here we are in 1 Peter. We're starting up in chapter 5. And Peter's just been talking about how judgment begins with the house of God. You're founded upon Jesus Christ, and then you're building. You're building with valuable materials like gold, silver, precious stones, or you're building with worthless materials like wood, hay, and stubble. And the day of judgment is going to reveal what kind of work it is. If it survives fire, then you have a reward. And if it doesn't survive the fire, then you'll be saved, yet so as through fire. So judgment is coming. You have to prepare for that. Maybe you need some help. And God has help for you. In fact, he has a person for you. A person who takes Jesus extremely seriously. So as you watch him, you take Jesus extremely seriously. And as a result, you also inherit eternal life. And this help for you is a pastor. You need a pastor. So here we are in 1 Peter chapter 5. He says, The elders who are among you I exhort. I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you. That's it. That's all we're going to get today. I'm so sorry. But here's what happened. I studied this. I prepped. I wrote. I typed. And I had 17 pages worth of notes. Now, this is a no-no. Because it's written, thou shalt not kill. <laughs> and so I thought, what do I do? So I chopped it in half. We're going to get half today, and half next week. But it's talking about being a pastor, elder, overseer, pastor. The hierarchy of church did really not exist back then, and so all of these words that you'll find in the New Testament kind of refer to the same person, a pastor. And when I come to this, I'm thinking, I'm going to be talking about my job. Now, that terrifies the ever-loving daylights out of me. Because I, I get asked this question, what do you do? I'm other. What do you mean you're other? Well, when you go to a government form and you look on all the different jobs and you have to go for your, 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 your specification, what do you do? And you go through an entire list of like 40 different jobs. And guess what you have to put down? Other. So my job isn't even officially recognized by the government. Nobody thought to put my job down on the form. So I could say, well, I'm one of those. I'm an other. What do I have? Three eyes? Four arms? What it, what's Other. And there are those people who say, well, why have pastors anyway? Some people do not like pastors. Faintly resentful toward pastors. They question authority and leadership like it's a dirty word. Like, what kind of a guy would vote himself into the job anyway? And there are pastors who abuse their position. Some people think anybody can do that job. And some people think nobody should do the job. Some people think we ought to sit around the campfire and sing Kumbaya until the Holy Spirit shows up and does something. All right? There, these, we have wide extremes of what a pastor ought to be. Some pastors rule with a mighty hand like Tiberius Caesar. 
and tell you what to do and who to marry and what kind of job to have, and they order your life. So I felt a need to sort of explain why there is such a thing as a pastor. Bear with me. You see, God created sheep. And he created sheep to have a shepherd. That's another name for pastor. It's a shepherd. And God did a funny thing when he created sheep. He created an animal with no natural defenses. Nothing. Absolutely helpless. Do you know that sheep do not know how to get up once they fall over? And then, if they don't get up, something happens to them so that their bellies distend with air and they die. So if a sheep falls over and there's no shepherd, that sheep is doomed. <laughs> Goodbye, little sheep. Goodbye. <laughs> this is not good, is it? Now, you know that Abel, the son of Adam, was a keeper of flocks? He was a shepherd. Now, look, this is the first generation. We got us a baby boy. He grows up. Dad, what do I do? Take care of those sheep. Okay. So you have to watch out for sheep. Oh, one fell over. Well, you know what to do, son. <laughs> Get him up. So God has always intended for sheep to have a shepherd. Do you get that? It's something built into creation. This is God's idea. Because people are described in the Bible as sheep. And, you know, all of us would rather be like Tiberius Caesar, you know, powerful. I take over nations. But God says, no, you're a sheep. See, when David says in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, you know what he's also saying? I'm David, I'm God's sheep. And there's Psalm 95, where it says, we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. See, that's a good thing. God means for his people to have leaders who are shepherds. And God gives different kinds of ministers to the church. In Ephesians 4, verse 11, Paul says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, that phrase, pastor and teacher, is a kind of phrase that's actually known in Greek as the Granville Sharp Rule. Because in the 1700s, there was a Greek scholar named Granville Sharp. And he was a, a contemporary of Wilb William Wilberforce. See, I said it all by myself. And part of the Clapham sect that actually worked a lot of good things in government, society, Granville Sharp was the one who noticed that when you have a certain relationship without articles and with the connective in between, it refers to the same person, as in God and Father. He proved that it means the both, God and Father. So when you come to this phrase, pastors and teachers, it's the same construction and it means the same person, a pastor is supposed to be a teacher. Now, a pastor teacher is a guy given by God to the church 
that is to you, to help you attain to the fullness of Christ. He's there to help you get where God intends for you to be. So getting back to where we're at here, 1 Peter 5, Peter exhorts the elders as one of them. Remember, this is before the hierarchies. Elder, pastor, overseer. In some Bibles, it comes out bishop. But they didn't have bishops as such back then. No hierarchies, but they did have a guy who was called by God, many times appointed by the apostles, and they say, you're on. You're a pastor now. And what we're going to notice here is that a pastor is somebody who feeds the flock of God and watches over them. Now, Peter says, the elders who are among you, I exert. I, who am a fellow elder. He's saying, I am one of you guys. And he wants to exhort these guys and actually enable them to do their job of enabling others to inherit glory. Do you see how he's doing it to them? He's sort of a shepherd of shepherds, helping the shepherds to help their flocks. Now he mentions three things here that give him the right to exhort other elders. And like I said, the first thing there is, he's one of them. He says, I'm an elder along with you. And you notice that though he is an apostle, he doesn't show off and say, make way. Because I'm an apostle. Give me breathing room here. Where's my coffee? I need a sandwich too. Easy on the mayo. You know, he says, I'm one of you guys. And you know, he saw Jesus raised from the dead. He was on the Mount of Transfiguration and saw his glory. He doesn't whip out this stuff and beat him on the head and make him know who's boss around here, who's got the stuff. He just says, hey, I'm one of you guys. And he's serving them. He's not trying to get them to serve him. He wants to tell them things that are going to build them up and enable them to do what God has called them to do. And I think that's fabulous. He's one of them. He says he's also a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now, Jesus himself is the role model for a pastor. Because Jesus is a servant. That is the great thing about Jesus, that Peter saw Jesus serve as that suffering servant of Isaiah 53. A servant. Jesus was called by God to suffer for the people and to cause them to possess the eternal inheritance. That was the job of Jesus. And he said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So here's Peter as a servant speaking as a servant of God. Then he says, I'm a partaker of his glory. That glory is going to be revealed. You know, just as he saw Jesus' suffering and his service, he also saw Jesus raised from the dead. That is the ultimate end of Jesus' life. That is our end. That is what we're going through right now. 
in this theme of Peter that it's suffering first and afterwards glory, humility now, and afterwards it's all glory. And in all these things, Peter himself is an example just as he's going to call these guys there in verse 3, which we're going to get next week, being examples to the flock. Well, he himself is that example. Now, his main command to the elders is to shepherd the flock of God. And then the rest of this passage to verse 4 is about how to do that. So we're going to get that next week. But we get a little bit of the job here, the main part. What a pastor is supposed to do is he's supposed to feed people the word of God, shepherd the flock of God. It's a word that literally means pasture them, and that means give them food. And the food for the people of God is the word of God. Because man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Now, you know, going back to Jesus, he did that. He, as a faithful pastor, the writer to the Hebrews describes him as the great shepherd of the sheep who rose from the dead, he fed people the word of God. In Mark chapter 6, verse 32, it says, So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves, but the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him, and Jesus, when he came out, saw the multitudes. He was headed for a holiday, but he didn't get a holiday. He was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. And it says in Matthew 9, 36, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion from them, for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. So here's Jesus. He is the great shepherd. And he looks on all these people. And he's about to go on holiday expectations shattered and he doesn't really even care because he's looking at this group of people and they're all beat up. They look like sheep who have no shepherd because they're weary and scattered. And that has a range of meanings from exhausted, fatigued, thrown down like one rejected, discarded as useless and unwanted. That's what he's seeing. Starved, mangy, scared to death, beat up. And so Jesus teaches them many things. You know what he teaches? Beat up exhausted, fatigued, discarded as worthless people? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know that God wants to give you the kingdom gladly? And boy, when Jesus gets done with them, they're not as weary, they're not as exhausted, they're not as beat up. They have something in them that says, I can keep going. They have been fed, strengthened with truth that comes from God that they have to know. 
And because they know this, they can keep going. So, a pastor has to teach the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3, Paul says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready, in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. They will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Now Paul says only the word of God can equip you and enable you to do everything that God is calling you to do, and that means inherit eternal glory. Everything between now and the end and then afterward. And there is nothing else. Now what a pastor is not supposed to teach is his own ideas and stuff that doesn't come from the Bible. And what a pastor, when he teaches something that he's made up, that destroys people. Jeremiah chapter 23 is a classic place to read about shepherds who destroy God's people. The whole chapter. And it's so long that I can't read it all, but I'm going to pick out important points to read to you. The very first two verses says, and this is God speaking, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, against the shepherds who feed my people, you have scattered my flock, driven them away, and have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for the evil of your doings, says the Lord. Verse 16. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They make you worthless. They speak a vision of their own heart, not from the mouth of the Lord. They continually say to those who despise me, The Lord has said, You shall have peace. And to everyone who walks according to the dictates of his own heart, they say, No evil shall come upon you. Verse 21, God says, I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words, then they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. Verse 28, the prophet who has a dream, let him tell a dream. And he who has my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What is the chaff to the wheat, says the Lord? Is not my word a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks rock in pieces? You know, in comparison to what God has to say, what anybody has to say is as worthless as straw, wood, hay, and it's all going to burn. All those fancy books with lots of 
Good ideas, guess what? Worthless, burnable. But we are filled with that kind of stuff today. Zippy, fashionable, cutting edge. It's the new thing. Here's what Paul told the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. You see, nothing else can do what the Bible does. Build you up. Give you that inheritance. Nothing else can do it. Everything else is a waste of time. There is no substitute for the Bible. Now sometimes, and more often nowadays, we get the suggestion that we have to move with the times. We can't be so fuddy-duddy. We got to get with the new thing. This is the new thing. We got to jump on board. But you don't read a thing about that in the Bible. Thus says the Lord, watch out for the new hip thing. Everybody else is doing it. No, because what the Bible says that what the new hip thing is, is a bunch of rubbish. So a pastor is to teach the word. Now, there's a lot of ways to do this. But what the pastor of this church does is take a book of the Bible, start at the beginning, go all the way through it to the end, and then pick another one and do that and just keep going through. Now, there are people who do it in a way that's called topical, and that's relevant. Do you know that Charles Spurgeon himself told his students at his Bible college, do not teach through the Bible mechanically. He says that militates against the freedom of the Spirit. You know, I'm not going to arm wrestle with Charles Spurgeon because he's got me. Okay? His little finger is thicker than my father's loins. But you know, Charles Spurgeon, yeah, I'm not going to put me up there, it's my dad. He's phenomenal. And he did hit everything in the Bible. And he was so phenomenal that they kept putting out books of his sermons. Uh, he died in 1893, and his series on sermons went until 1917. Okay, so I'm not fit to tie his sandals. But another way to hit all the topics is just teach through the Bible. And guess what? You hit all of them. What a great idea. Now, it's not the only way to do it, but that's the way we do it here. And the reason why we do this is because of the effect of this in my own life. That is, I remember being baptized when I was seven. I was in a church, I was in a believer's class, confirmed, everything. And I remember vividly sitting in the pew one day, looking up and down, going, anybody here know God? And I figured the licensed professional up there knew God, but I didn't know him. And I really wasn't interested because he wore this Geneva gown, you know what I mean? And he was kind of scary. He's not dressed like us. What, what does he do? So I knew I did not know God. Isn't that weird? There I am in a church, and I've done everything that they say, you're official. But the problem was, don't I get to know God? Why don't I know God? And I didn't know God until I heard a guy teach the Bible systematically. And then I was overwhelmed with this impression. This guy knows God. And the corollary to that is, I can know God. 
And I want to. That is all I want. Sock it to me. See, that's the most exciting thing in the world, to know God for yourself. You don't have to trust in licensed professional up there. He's probably a good guy. But how about knowing God for yourself? Because you don't hire somebody to kiss your girlfriend for you, do you? That's kind of missing the point. How come I don't get to know God for myself? Because, see, knowing God is eternal life. How do you even know if you've got it or not unless you know that you know that you know God? So, I believe in the power of the Word of God to cause you to inherit. Because I've had it happen to myself. And it's still happening. I still get to do this. I get to learn more about God. Now, the other thing that a pastor is supposed to do besides feed the people the Word of God is to watch out for them. And the reason why, Paul warned the pastors in Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, and he said, Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So there's two jobs there. One job is a pastor has to look out for himself. Isn't that interesting? Part of a pastor's job is to make sure he doesn't Go wonky. That means you have to stay on a short leash with God. I think that's why he made me a pastor. He says, I don't want you over there. Here. So I can't get very far because I'm on this. That's the limitation of the job. I accept it. He says, I don't want you over there because you get into trouble over there. I want you right here. I'm okay with that. I like being close to God. But it is a job to watch out for yourself. And it's a job that I take seriously. Because I know, I don't want to scare anybody, but I know the corruption of my own heart. You see, a pastor is one of the sheep. He wasn't born immaculately. <laughs> he does not have superpowers that the rest of the people don't have. You know what he is? He is a guy that Jesus calls to be serious about following him. And that's it. That's the only superpower I got. So one of my jobs is to watch out for myself and make sure that I'm right with God. And, and what that means is I got to seek God like my life depends upon it. But not because I'm a pastor. It's because I'm a guy that walks with God, and that's what guys who walk with God do. It's just that a pastor has to really watch himself. Because this is the rule in life. Zechariah 13. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. So it's, it's economy. Why should the devil just jump on everybody when it's a lot easier to just jump on the pastor? Because once he's gone, why, the sheep are scattered. 
And that's why pastors blow up. Because the devil only has to land on one. And then everybody else is a pushover. Because they're all scattered and exhausted and weary and discarded like sheep who have no shepherd. See? So, yes. That's something I got to do. Now, I do it early in the morning. Because everybody here has to go to work, right? And everybody has to show up on time to work. Right? And so I do this in my time, not my work time. As a pastor, I can't sit back and eat chocolate and read scripture all day long for my spiritual health. Because I got to work like everybody else. So I got to do it in the morning. And I've I just say, okay, God, wake me up. And I've spent hours and hours falling asleep over my Bible in the morning. Until I say, God, you know, help me to have a quiet time or kill me. And so somehow or other, I have a quiet time. Because I have to. Because I'm a guy that walks with God. This is not for the sake of the ministry, but a pastor ministers with his life. And if his life is messed up, he can't minister. So that's part of my responsibility. But I do it like everybody else. That morning time is your time to use however you want. And because God called me, then I use that for the most important thing there is. I got to be straight with God. I got to spend time with God. I have to pray. I have to meditate. And, you know... There are the good days and then there's the bad days. Just like you. Everybody with me? But this is part of my job. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. If I'm going to jump the rails, it happens in my heart first, and I have to be honest before God. Just like you. But I'm called to really take it seriously. So, I let God search my heart and say, see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in your everlasting way. But then, a pastor watches out for the church. Savage wolves are going to come in. In a lot of ways, the way savage wolves come in is through books and videos and junk that's out there on the interwebs. Because we're just surfing and looking for junk. Woo, that's interesting. Ooh, that's clickbait. If I ever saw one, let's go look at that one for a while. Jesus is not God. Mm, provocative. Let's look at that for a while. And we look at all kinds of junk. Junk food. Stupid food. These guys are savage wolves. You know why? Because they want to convince people that what's really food is dull and boring, and boy, what they got is hot stuff. Let's gorge ourselves on starch blockers and poison. It's the cutting edge. Everybody's doing it. So we have all this fear of, I don't want to miss the next move of God. So if some pinhead is being pumped by somebody to be the next big thing, let's suck all the people who don't know what's going on so we can be somebody and do something. Yes, it's a move of God with power. And anybody who doesn't say this is God is not spiritual. Okay, it's spiritual. Well, I'm making big fun, but you know what? It's scary stuff. Because false teaching does something very subtle. And it draws people away from trusting in Jesus to trusting in themselves. And when you do that, 
then it severs your relationship with Christ. It makes your relationship with Christ of no effect. And that's what the devil wants to do. He wants to make you so that somehow you're trusting in yourself and the pressure's on you and guess what? You get exhausted and you feel discarded because you know you don't measure up. And God is done with you because you're a failure. It's a subtle thing and it takes a long time and you build up this dark cloud of doom and you realize you're not as good a Christian as you ought to be. And so you can imagine God is about to drop a piano on you from heaven because if you were God, you would drop a piano on you. You're not producing! Yeah, I deserve it. Drop it. If you read carefully in the Bible, God does not drop pianos on people. So see, you're free. Those of you with piano fear, it's the great thing about theology. It just removes all fear. And again, I'm being silly. But you know what? Paul says in Galatians 5, you have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. Now, justified by law means accepted by God because of what you do. And law shows you what you have to do to be accepted by God. And so somehow you're doing something so that you're accepted by God and you automatically sever yourself. And you make your relationship with Christ of no effect. Your Savior is no Savior because you're having to save yourself now because what you're listening to and what you're putting into your life is not biblical. It's somebody's great idea that just isn't found in the Bible. That's all. I read one book on the Jezebel spirit. Anybody read that book? Colin Dye at Kensington Temple wrote that book. And he'll teach you all about the Jezebel spirit that was there in the Garden of Eden and is going to go into the lake of fire in Revelation chapter 20 and all points in between. Showing scripture, proving that the Jezebel spirit is your big enemy. And here's the problem. You can read the entire Bible and never once read about the Jezebel spirit. So there you are, woofing away at the Jezebel spirit. But guess what? There is no Jezebel spirit. You're wasting your time. That's not biblical. That's why I mention him. It sounds biblical. It sounds spiritual and cool. It's the cutting edge. But guess what? It's worthless because it's not there in the Bible. All right. Paul said, such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ, and no wonder. For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it's not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their deeds. So a pastor has to oppose false teaching. In Acts chapter 15, some men came to Antioch and taught that unless you're circumcised according to the law of Moses, you can't be saved. And the apostle Paul heard that, and it says that they had no little debate. You know what that means? There was a mushroom cloud over Antioch because that was false teaching. And Paul says, you can't say that. You guys are wrong. And he said it to their face. Now that's looking out for that flock in Antioch and Christians for the next 2,000 years so that we don't get separated from Christ, our relationship with him made of no effect. 
Now, you know, in Acts 20, he says, men among you are going to rise up and try to draw away the disciples after them. He says, your own guys, in your own church, they're going to get feeling like, I'm somebody, and I'm going to draw people away so that I have people around me to prove that I'm somebody because I'm cutting edge. And what they do is they get people to follow them and not Jesus. It's a personality thing. But who is anybody next to Jesus? And especially, who's that pastor? Is anybody hot stuff standing next to Jesus? So a pastor is just a guy, and he's always going to point people to Jesus. He wants to make people dependent upon Jesus, not even on himself. No pastor can carry people. And you know, when I pray for people, I want to take their burdens and pass them on to Jesus. I can't carry them either. I can't even carry myself. So just because I take Jesus seriously, I'm going to watch out for everybody and get them to put all of their burden on Jesus. That's safe. That's the way it's supposed to be. And that's as far as we're going to get. You think, well, so what? Not a single person here this morning is a pastor. Why do we need to know this stuff? And that's what I asked myself, too. I thought, this is basically for me. So let's do my report card now. Let's see, F minus. Well, we all expected that. But God evidently thinks you need to know what a pastor does. And one reason, I think, is so that you can appreciate what a pastor does. And he's supposed to work hard to feed you the word of God and to watch over you. And that's a lot of work. There's lots of other things a pastor could be doing, like becoming an internationally known speaker and author of many books that sell quite a few. But that's not his job. Works out on the side, okay. But if he doesn't do those two things, feed you and look out for you, he's not doing his job. So when you're looking for a church, as you might have to from time to time, this is what you look for. What has that guy got to say? Does he teach what the Bible says? Or does he teach his own fabulous ideas with, you know, a couple of scriptures once in a while, here and there, just to sort of buttress up what he's saying. But basically, you could take those scripture references out and it wouldn't make any difference to what he's saying. Or if the guy is teaching the Bible, then you're going to get fed. You know, churches can have a lot of exciting things going on, like spotlights. That is exciting. And I know the cliche nowadays is smoke machines. And I've even been in some of those churches. I felt like the only guy on Mars. Because it was everybody else knew what to do. And I was just standing there watching this stuff thinking, man, I'm from another planet. These are not my people. And does the pastor look out for people? Now, I think one of the things Peter wants us to get out of this is that you need a pastor. Because that is the plan of God and his gift so that you make it all the way to heaven. I think that's inevitable. Now, you may not need this particular pastor, but that's okay. You need a pastor. And you need somebody feeding you good food. You need to be watched over so you don't get lost. In other words, you need to think seriously about being a sheep. 
You are not Jason Bourne, Captain James T. Kirk, James Bond. You're more like Phineas and Ferb. You need somebody to look out for you. I know that's humbling because a lot of people don't like that. They come and go at will. And I have to go looking for them. And it blows my mind. What I'd like everybody to get in their brains is you and me have an unbreakable appointment Sunday morning at 10.30. This is our implicit agreement that we're going to meet together so I can keep my eye on you. And so that you can watch me. Because see, there's a two-way street going on. What I'm letting you do is watch my life. And you can say, Rob Dingman, well, he's kind of quirky. In fact, he's really quirky. <laughs> See, I walked right into that one, right here. Just do it right here and put us all out. And the purpose is not to be quirky. This is not stand-up comedy. The purpose is, you get to look at my life, and you get to see how I live, and then you get to take comfort. Because if Rob is getting saved, I can get saved too. Look at that moron. You don't have to quote me on that. But the point is, you think, oh, I'm doing so bad. I got to go to church. Hi, how's it going? I'm fine. Thank you. How are you? <laughs> Can't afford to be real or nothing because if they find out the awful truth, they're going to laugh at me and just say, oh, you poor Christian. I'll pray for you sometime. I forget when. But see, I'm sort of living out a little bit public on purpose so that everybody knows I am made of flesh and blood and not cold blue steel. And if I can get discouraged and still go to heaven, you can get discouraged and still go to heaven. I can have a crummy week and still go to heaven, so can you. You have to watch a guy who is one of you so that you realize, I can do this. I am the poster child that you're supposed to watch and say, if Robbie can get saved, anybody can do it. Help, Robbie. Give today. <laughs> Poor guy. No, I'm getting saved. And again, we're going to look at this next week. I'm headed for a crown of glory. My job is to make sure you all get your crown of glory. We're all going to get our crowns of glory. See that? That's why we've got this appointment at 10.30 on a Sunday morning, and I really want you there. I'm talking to the guys in the pew. Hi, live streamers. I love you too. Don't make me look for you, because I'm going to find you. <laughs> and then we'll have a talk. I'm not that tough. You already know that. But this is, you could break a pastor's heart, and some of you do, and it blows my mind. Because it's not, it's just in and out, and kind of when I feel like it. Oh, the wind's blowing the other way. It's a fabulous day. I'm going to go somewhere else. I don't want to come here and sweat. And I get sad. Because I can't help you when I can't feed you. And you need this continual washing of the water with the Word. You need this. And if you think you don't need it, then I'm going to have to find you somewhere discouraged, beat down, 
feeling discarded by God. And then I'm going to have to tell you the truth. No, God's not done with you. He loves you. I'll do that. But what I'd rather have is everybody being healthy. That's healthy. And I even know that some people have to work on Sundays. They do me the courtesy of telling me so I know where they are. I know, okay, that person's okay. But my heart is broken when there are people who just take this so lightly that I don't see them on a Sunday. And then I think, I got to go find them. Okay? Now, I'm not the best pastor that ever lived. Because some people have left the church because I don't check up on them. And I thought they didn't need to be checked up. They were big people. It turned out, no, they got hurts. And so I've, I've really learned, yes, knock on everybody's head and look for them. So I'm learning how to do this. So, I think another point here is that it's not just me feeding you, but at a certain point, you're going to turn around and feed somebody else. The writer to the Hebrews says to his readers, by this time, some of you need to be teachers. You should be, but instead, someone's got to teach you the ABCs. You know what? You take it in, you take it in, it's good stuff, but at a certain point, you've got to turn around and teach somebody else. In other words, get to the point where you're serious enough about following Jesus so that you want to make sure somebody else follows Jesus. Because what if they don't? And you're starting to take that pastor thing on, and women can do this too. I'm not saying a woman should be up here, but everybody needs somebody to look out for them. Do you see that? Now, one reason I don't think numerically we're growing is because we don't have enough pastors here. We could use a few more. We'll get into that next week. Not that I want the church to necessarily be a reflection of my omnipotent teaching power and all that junk. But more people need to know Jesus. That's all. There need to be more pastors. And the Lord might be calling you to be a pastor, even in a congregation this size. I would be very surprised if God were not doing that. So you need to know how to take Jesus seriously so that everyone else takes Jesus seriously. Do you take Jesus seriously? Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that Jesus shows us what your heart is. You're a shepherd. You're a pastor. You look at us, and you know our hearts. You know what we need. It's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods. And we thank you, Lord, that you raise up people who take Jesus seriously so they can help other people take Jesus seriously. We pray that you would raise up more people to do that. And we pray that we would be those sheep that stick by you. We pray especially, Lord, for the ones that are far away. Help us to find them. Help us to bring them back and stick with the flock. Thank you, Lord, that even a pastor has a pastor. Thank you for your good gifts to us. In Jesus' name, amen.